We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of September 27th, 2021. And it's the final week of the 2021 regular season. And for the Chicago White Sox, they could take it easy as they already clinched the American League Central. Unless Houston goes winless this week, the White Sox will be the number three seed for this upcoming postseason. So what do the White Sox have to play for? And how will Tony La Russa handle time off for both pitchers and position players? We'll discuss that in this episode. While the White Sox don't have much to play for, there are still several unfinished races in baseball. We'll break down the postseason picture for the final week on who will win the open division races and claim the wild cards. At the end of the show, we'll answer your questions in P.O. Sox. Joining me now is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. The White Sox won three out of five in Cleveland this past weekend and thus won the season series against Cleveland uh, 10 games to nine. Heck of a lot better than the 2-8 and eight record they had last year. Yeah, it's just surprising that it doesn't really matter or that they could have afforded to lose the season series and lose it quite decisively and still have real or no real impact on the standings. You know, perhaps maybe if the White Sox you know, dropped a series early or got in a hole, maybe the division looks different. Maybe the White Sox are a different team that can't build such a substantial division lead, but... Uh, the way it played out, um, yeah, I think that's still shocking just how inconsequential it was. And, you know, the ways that the White Sox won, obviously we talked about, especially on Twitter space, when the White Sox clinched the division in very convincing fashion, that first game of the doubleheader, scoring seven runs in the first two innings, and then they win a one to nothing ball game. Uh, and <laughs> where the offense just checks out. And that's been the norm for the White Sox since the All-Star break. They'll have a big offensive outburst, and then the next two games, they're they're struggling to put up any runs. Uh, but that was not the case on Sunday uh, when they won 
five to two. And we go now into the final week of the regular season. And the plan is to rest the players and pitchers as much as the White Sox possibly can. On Monday, Tim Anderson and Yohan Mikata are going to get the day off in Detroit. And Tony Russa also told reporters that he would like to give the high leverage guys out of the bullpen more time off, like Liam Hendricks, Craig Kimbrell, and Michael Kopech. He says that, and he had to use Hendricks and Kimbrell on Sunday to close out the game. How would you like to see the rest days given out in the final week, Jim? Well, I think for the relievers, I, I think it's, you know, resting Hendricks is a good idea, relatively speaking. Like, you know, you know, the idea of having him rust away versus, uh, you know, being overused, that's kind of a concern. So I guess you want to have him see some action. A couple games would be nice. But for me, I'm thinking with Kimbrell, it, it still, to me, makes more sense to pitch him in eighth innings or high leverage situations, however they may appear just because I think it's important to know just how much Tony La Russa can trust him. Cause we saw him, you know, look two different ways this series, maybe even three different ways over the past week. Like, uh, you know, having that wipe out knuckle curve and striking out the side and making it look easy one game. And then, uh, you know, not being able to locate it in the previous one and then giving up a Homer on a fastball, you know, in, in his most recent appearance on Sunday. So I think we're still trying to figure out who he is. He's not, bad or garbage or you know just he's, he's not what he looks like at his worst um he can be what he looks like at his best just based on what he done with the cubs this year but you also can't wait on him just to show up and, and assume he's going to establish that so i think it's still important for him to get work um you know maybe not three days in a row or uh, how tony larusa has used him before because i think that's a recipe to, to basically put him in a position to fail but I wouldn't mind seeing him pitch in two or three games uh, this week just to try to better understand who he is before they start handing off appearances to him. Also, I think, you know, Ryan Tapera, hopefully he's back and he gets a high leverage situation or two just to understand if Kimbrell does, still doesn't look right. And the White Sox are still trying to figure out, like, who is the most trustworthy right-handed reliever after Liam Hendricks. You know, hopefully Tapera is that guy, and he looked like that guy before he cut his finger, so you hope that that didn't really create any long-lasting effects. How would you use Kopech in this final week of the regular season? Because, and we're going to talk about Carlos Rodon in a moment here. It's still, I'm still unsure what Kopech's defined role is going to be in the postseason, Jim. Is he going to continue to be one of the first guys out of the bullpen where he's going to take on an inning? Or are the White Sox going to have to maybe have him around to take on two or three innings if he may have to open game four of the divisional series. I think the plan still seems like he's going to be a two or three inning guy just because the way the postseason is managed now, um, you know, pitchers generally don't get into too deep of a hole. So like, let's say Dylan C starts and he has a Dylan Cease like inning or maybe two innings, uh, you know, the random inning where he just starts pulling everything into the left-handed betters box and gets into bad counts and, you're just hoping that that team can't make him pay before he closes out the inning. Um, I, I can see him, you know, relieving Cease or like should, you know, Lynn have an off night or should, uh, you know, Rodon, if he starts, look rough out of the gate. Like it seems like Kopech will come in, you know, in that situation, like innings three or four or something like that, um, you know, maybe to spare a pitcher a third time through uh, and and try to, get a couple innings and keep the game close. I think that's going to be his role, which sounds like low leverage, but in I think in the postseason, the idea of low leverage kind of goes away. And 
the garbage innings are either important in terms of keeping a team within striking distance, uh, or, you know, I think like in a Ronaldo Lopez case, if he's around, like he would be the guy to just kind of, if the White Sox are down like seven, nothing after three or four, then I think Lopez comes in and unless it's like a situation where, you know, it's an elimination game, then it's managed different, but, you know, should it be in position where they don't want to burn out their, you know, best relievers, in a game that they can afford to lose, it's probably Lopez. But in any situation like where the White Sox want to keep it within like a two or three run deficit over the middle innings, I think Kopech would be the guy for that. And and basically uh, ride him as long as his stuff allows him to be ridden because in that situation, you hope he wouldn't have to pitch in back-to-back days. Well, let's talk about the updated schedule for Carlos Rodon. Last we spoke for Sox Machine Live, we were talking about how important the Tuesday game against Cincinnati was going to be for Carlos Rodon because the original plan was for him to make that start so the White Sox could evaluate his readiness for the postseason. Well, now he's not going to be starting on Tuesday, and he is tentative to start on Wednesday. Jim, I'm really curious now what the plan is for Carlos Rodon with the final week of the regular season for the White Sox to figure out if he's going to be ready to go for the divisional series. The whole thing kind of feels like Dabda to me, like just trying to, well, I, I think Rodon knocked out two of them in his post-game conference, you know, denial and uh, anger <laughs> with his uh, Zoom call, you know, kind of cutting it off and saying, uh, you know, I think we're done here. Thank you. Um, yeah, because, you know, Larusa was... Um, you may be in the depression stage. <laughs> Fast forwarded to depression, uh, and and, and uh, Rodon was still in denial and anger. Now I think you know this kind of trying to figure out when he starts next is bargaining. So they're kind of like on stage three, where they're working their way through. And I think you know I was on Larusa's side, thinking when he saw that Rodon's uh, velocity had flattened out and wasn't coming back and and dying early on him. You're just thinking like, this is not good. This is um, you know, maybe the end of the line for this season. And Rodon wants to pitch. And so it seemed like Tuesday was like, that's surprising. Like that seems too soon. So to see Wednesday uh, push back makes me think like, okay, that's on one hand more like it. On the other hand, it kind of feels like you know, when your flight keeps getting delayed, like mechanical issues and think like, oh, I'm not going to make my connection, am I? That's kind of what it feels like for uh, you know, him making a postseason start now if his, uh, if his next outing gets pushed back any further. So I'm still on the skeptical side of things. I understand, like, the desire is there. I mean, Rodon has worked really hard for this. His first half was incredible. You definitely don't want to see a season end like this, especially when you, when you also factor in his personal incentives for finishing the season on, anyth- on something resembling a high note to go into the uh, you know, off season with leverage and a uh, chance to really um, just get the best deal for himself. So there are a lot of uh, factors here that are all just frustrating and saddening and, and a bunch of things. So, you know, that's why I'm kind of inclined to think like you know, both sides want to try to pull out all the stops or at least most of them uh, to make it seem like, uh, you know, there's a way of pulling it off. And, and nobody wants to close it off prematurely. But just when you look at all the signs, and now I think this postseason start is, <clears throat> sorry, this last week the season start in advance of the postseason, that's one, you know, another sign to take into account. It's really just, I think, adding up to be not great. Do you think Carlos Rodon needs to make one more appearance 
during this final week of the regular season before appearing in the postseason? To me, it does just because of how uneven and different he's looked. Um, like the guy who pitched his last outing, and unless you have like a strict plan with him to only get three, only get one time through, and then see from there, like, uh, you know, in, in case, you know, in the event that he's somehow throwing 98 again, then maybe you keep going, but really just plan for one time through given that even when he has his lesser stuff, his fastball really doesn't get squared up until, uh, you know, pitch 60-something. Maybe it's a case where they can't afford to not have him pitch if he's, you know, really not available. But I think for the White Sox, there is value in knowing just how much he has, especially since he's pitching against a team like, you know, if he pitches against the Reds, uh, he's not going to face them in the... uh, He's not going to face him in the postseason. Uh, you know, I'm thinking like the Rays and Astros are playing this week, and that's a case where they might not want to show uh, the other opponent anything that they might want to lean on in October because I might be giving something away. But right now the White Sox aren't in a position to give something away to an opponent. I mean, they can watch video on him, but I think, you know, there's plenty of video of him with this lesser fastball. So I think they're, you know, his stuff still has enough life to get away with it for a little bit. But... It, it, yeah, you know, I think unless they feel like they can glean some knowledge of how he looks in a bullpen or simulated game thing on the side, it still seems like there's value in him making at least one more appearance, even if it's on like a three-inning plan, the way that they might use uh, Lynn and Giolito for their last outing, knowing that they can go six now. Well, Dylan Cease is going to be making the regular season finale start on Sunday against the Detroit Tigers. A bit of an eye-opener, thinking that maybe it would be Dallas Keuchel, and that would be Keuchel's final appearance with the Chicago White Sox in 2021. But no, it's going to be Dylan Cease to try to keep him in as far as in in rhythm and not have too many days off uh, for his next start after the regular season, which would be in the Divisional Series, and that might be Game 3 of the Divisional Series especially if there is still the unknown on the health status for Carlos Rodon. But Tony La Russa did tell the press that for Friday and Saturday, it is going to be some combination of Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito, but he won't confirm which pitcher will be starting on which day. Whoever starts on Friday will be his game one starter in the American League Divisional Series. So Jim, let's play the game that everyone's been playing for a while now, who would you give the ball for game one of the American League Divisional Series between Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito? I think I would give it to Giolito just based on, you know, I, I guess his ability or the faith in him bouncing back to make a start on short rest the next time out. Okay. I, I definitely understand that reasoning. And I think Giolito against Houston... <sighs> I don't know. I think Houston's got a really good book against Lance Lynn. I am one of those that definitely buys where a team can be extremely well prepared against a particular starting pitcher. And for XYZ reason, the Houston Astros are very prepared for what Lance Lynn is going to throw at them. And if there's one of these two pitchers, I have more confidence that can keep Houston at bay I think I'd side with Lucas Giolito over Lance Lynn. That's fair. I mean, they, they did see a lot of him. And when it comes to Lynn, 
in a pitcher with his arsenal where he throws mainly fastballs and, you know, whether they go up, down, or slightly, uh, I guess, glove side, you know, that's the question. You know, they, they, I think that's a case where maybe the unbalanced schedule or like the, the limited schedule, they played 60 games last year where they're divisional opponents between the uh, Astros and Rangers. They just saw a lot of each other. You know, perhaps that's a case where that worked against uh, Lynn in the way it wouldn't work against Giolito. So I can see that argument too, but just the way, you know, kind of Lynn had to work out his back and said his knee was a bit of an issue and, you know, how he hasn't looked particularly comfortable on the mound for a while. Uh, and whereas Giolito has looked fine, like he's basically looked like his old self. If anything, his changeup looked a little bit, um, you know, unremarkable against uh, Cleveland uh, on Sunday, but his slider looked great. So I think as long as he has two functioning pitches uh, where he wants them, I think the third pitch, whether it's a changeup on a day or slider on a day, I think is good enough for him to compete and compete well. So we would go with Giolito game on Friday and then Lynn on Saturday. So they would flip flop because it was Lynn who pitched on Saturday and Cleveland knocked him around a bit. And Lucas Giglio was very good on Sunday against Cleveland, six scoreless innings and a hundred yeah, pitches. I, I think so. Do you have both of them throw a hundred pitches in their last start? No, I would take it easy. You have three to four innings. So six, oh, just that. Yeah. Like, you know, I would say depending on the workload, um, but I just don't think you want to go like nuts. Like say if a, you know, Lynn throws a 30 pitch inning in there, I don't think you want him to go hundred necessarily. Like, especially if the 30 pitch inning like comes in the fourth, it's a case where you probably don't want to have him go out. Um, you know, there's just, I think diminishing returns. So I think as long as they go kind of like, I'm thinking the last start of spring training. Okay. Where they kind of back off a little bit and then get into, um, you're ready for opening day and the anticipation of six innings. Cause I think, with the way the postseason is managed now that, uh, you know, the, the days of 2005 uh, in the ALCS and the four consecutive complete games, I don't think managers really think about that anymore. So I think they're going to position Giolito or Lynn just to be ready for six. Okay. And I think if they go three or four, that means they're fine to throw six the next time out. Yeah. And with uh, Dylan C's pitching on Sunday. So again, the dates for the American League Divisional Series, game one is going to be October 7th. Game two will be October 8th. On October 9th, that's the travel day to get to Chicago, where the White Sox would be playing their first postseason game at home since 2008 on Sunday, October 10th. That's what it's looking like. Things can change. Again, if Houston goes winless this week and the White Sox win every single game, maybe it gets flipped around and the White Sox are playing at home on the 7th and 8th. Uh, however, right now, the way that it looks like as we speak, the first postseason home game for the White Sox will be Sunday, October 10th. And if Giolito and Lynn are going to pitch the first and second, that's going to give them six days of rest. Uh, I should say five days of rest. On the sixth day, they will make their next start. So they'll be fully rested for games one and two of the divisional series. Dylan Cease will have six days off before making that start for game three. I think that's the way it's set up, Jim. It's going to be some combination of Giolito, Lynn, and Cease. And if Rodon does throw on Wednesday, depending on what he does on the mound against Cincinnati, he could be their solution for game four on some type of combination of maybe Rodon is the opener uh, because that's all he can give the White Sox now at this moment, health-wise. 
and then it's uh, mostly a bullpen day. Yeah, or maybe, you know, Rodon pitches and then Giolito comes in, kind of like I'm thinking in the the role that the uh, Astros did not use Garrett Cole. Um, in, in, when wait, What year was that, 2019? I, I, yeah, I think that was his last year at the Astros, right? Where yeah, 2019. He didn't pitch. He was just standing in the bullpen stewing the entire time, and he didn't wear his Astros cap after the uh, press conference because he's very unhappy that in a deciding game, even though the you know the the odds were against him, like they didn't, you know, AJ Hinch did not pitch Garrett Cole, and that's why I think like it's important to have Giolito just ready, just in case um, they need him to appear in the middle innings. Like if Rodon shows up and and throws the first inning and does not look right. Then you have Kopech, but then you also need, you know, it, somehow you need a combination of Kopech and Giolito or what have you, maybe Crochet to get through five innings. So that's why I think it's important to have Cro- uh, Giolito there just because if they somehow, you know, in that situation, if they have to scramble in a game four to get to a game five, then Lynn would be on full rest, I think. Okay. No, I can, I could definitely buy that. Well, hopefully Rodon does throw on Wednesday and he looks healthy so he could still be a factor. Uh, but if he's not, uh, as far as Dallas Keuchel, is he going to be on this postseason roster? I still don't think so. But do you think he could be on the roster? I think it might come down to Rodon or Keuchel. Interesting. Like maybe I can see maybe Rodon the, uh, or Lopez. It's hard to know, but like just you know because Rodon, you know, it's hard to know. It's really insightful for podcast listeners. Like, Oh, I don't know. That's always unsatisfying. But I think just the, I say that just because the range of Rodon outcomes is still so vast right now between him looking like he has nothing and kind of limping to the finish line versus looking rejuvenated. So that's why I think like if Rodon somehow does not look like he's able to compete in a postseason game without like further evidence that he can get up to 96 or whatever, then I think Keuchel becomes the most natural use of that pitching spot. <sighs> I still don't know if I would have Keuchel start game four. I, I'm a bit terrified. I'm a bit terrified of that possibility, Jim. Yeah. I mean, it's not great. It just It's more of a matter to me of just, uh, you know, if Rodon is not a, on this roster, you know, it's just an extra pitching spot to have somebody who can cover innings, not necessarily good ones or open, you know, open a game with, you know, uh, <laughs> tie game, that sort of thing, but just more a matter of, you know, I think they have, when you, when you factor in, um, you know, just thinking in the bullpen, you have, you know, working backwards, Hendricks, Kimbrell, uh, Bummer, Tapera, Kopech, Crochet, like that's plenty. So I don't think they need another like high leverage guy or like a you know, guy who can come in and get strikeouts in a close game. I think it's just more a matter of that point you're looking at somebody who can spare pitchers some work if it'll save them for a more, a more like crucial situation later. All right, so moving on from the pitchers, what do the White Sox have to play for this week as far as certain individuals? Jose Abreu, he's one home run shy of 30 home runs for the season, and he is still second place in the RBI title. He's two RBIs behind Salvador Perez. Abreu has 113 RBIs entering the week. Perez has 115. And we can't discount Tiascar Hernandez for the Toronto Blue Jays, who's currently at 112 RBI. So it's a tight race for the RBI title, but Abreu is in the thick of things. Tim Anderson, he's got a 302 batting average. If he can stay above 300, 
That'll be three straight seasons of a 300-plus batting average for Tim Anderson, which is great. And then Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease has made now the top 10 single-season strikeout list for the Chicago White Sox. He is currently ninth with 221 strikeouts. He is five strikeouts behind Chris Sale's 2013 season, and he is seven strikeouts behind Lucas Giolito, who struck out 228 in his 2019 rebound season. And Cease will be facing the Detroit Tigers in his final start this year. The Tiger Tamer gets Detroit one more time. So, Jim, do you think Cease can surpass Lucas Giolito's 2019 total of 228 strikeouts? I'm going to take the over. You're going to take the over. Okay, you think he will. Yeah, well, actually, I'm going to think. So he just needs eight. He needs to strike yeah, out I'm eight just looking. Batters. I'm looking at his like, recent workload. I'm just trying to figure out like how many innings he's going to throw. If he's throwing, say, let's see. Actually, no, I'm going to take the under just because I think he could be limited to three innings. Really? Just with the amount of pitches he throws and how he doesn't, you know, isn't really a great bet to go six innings necessarily, even when he's throwing the ball well, just based on how many pitches he uses up an inning. I'm going to say he's limited to three. See, I could see where Larusa says you're getting six days off. You're getting six days of rest. I'm going to have you go 85 pitches. And maybe that, well, maybe that does get him through three innings. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's more like a four, you know, get some, you know, four and some at 85, but yeah. I think he could do it. I think he can get eight strikeouts to be seventh all time for single season strikeout total. And, you know, for Dylan Cease, this is very remarkable because last year he had a terrible time striking out batters and he has done a terrific job this season, Jim, figuring out how to punch out guys. It's the season you wanted to see. And I think, you know, he leaves some room for growth. Um, I would say a little bit, like 32 starts, that's basically all you can expect from a pitcher. Uh, so maybe no growth there. But just in terms of, I guess, like learning the craft a little better, using fewer pitches, um, you know, not having those innings where, you know, it's almost like a golfer who can shoot a great round, but sometimes like just has a snowman, like you know, has a triple bogey, four putts a hole, uh, you know, and just never can quite like break 80 um, because of just one or two holes that gets away from him and has a hard time getting back on track. I think Cease is kind of the same way. Like if he can limit those innings where just the command goes, or I should say control goes wayward and he needs 30 pitches to get out from under it. Um, yeah, and, and you're talking about a guy who throws like 180 innings versus 170. That's, I think, the next step. But otherwise, um, that's really it. And if somehow this is like the best form of Cease or the, the, the form of Cease that resembles his peak and uh, he, he more or less hangs around this level, that's pretty good. That is very good. Yeah. And the fact that he... Has he's now for sure in the top 10 single season strikeout totals, uh, which is terrific. If you want to go down the list again, it's Chris Sale in 2015, where he had 274 strikeouts. Ed Walsh has the second, third, fourth, and fifth spots in the top 10 as he threw Throwing. like 400 innings in seasons. Yeah. <laughs> yep, four, 400 topped out of 464. Yeah. Uh, Ed Walsh had a 269 strikeout season in 1908, 258 strikeouts in 1910, 255 in 1911, and 254 
1912. The man was consistent. Uh, Chris Sale in 2016, his final season with the White Sox, struck out 233 batters. And then, of course, Lucas Giolito struck out 228 in 2019. Chris Sale in 2013 with 226. And ninth is Dylan Cease with 221 strikeouts. And I'm sure he will continue to climb up that list. Who knows? Maybe Larusa has ceased throw at least 100 pitches and uh, he challenges Chris Sale's uh, 2016 total and maybe gets up to sixth all time in a single season strikeout list for the Chicago White Sox. We are going to take a quick break, but after after word from our sponsor. But coming up next, we look at the MLB postseason picture as the races are going to come down to the final day in the American and National Leagues. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Sox Machine podcast. And we kind of shift away from just Chicago White Sox talk. Let's... Zoom out a little bit and let's talk about Major League Baseball as a whole here as far as the postseason picture. As the American American League wildcard has been a chaotic race for weeks now. And what has transpired in Boston over the weekend has even made things more complicated. You know, it just seems like, Jim, a week ago we were counting out the New York Yankees. Because after they got red hot after the Field of Dreams game where they had a double-digit winning streak. They got ice cold. That wiped that wiped out any all of the benefits they had of a very long winning streak. And here they are. They go to Boston, and they win that series against the Red Sox. And they're right back into the playoff picture ahead of the Toronto Blue Jays and the Seattle Mariners and the Oakland Athletics, and they're fighting Boston to see who will host that one-game wild card because the Tampa Bay Rays have already clinched the American League East. But boy, this final week for the New York Yankees schedule uh, is tough. They have to head to Toronto Tuesday through Thursday, and then after that, 
They are going to St. Petersburg, Florida uh, for the final weekend series against the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, all eyes are on the Yankees here, uh, especially when it comes to baseball and the national media landscape. When you are looking at the Yankees specifically, do you think they find a way to survive this race and get into that one game wildcard playoff? I still don't. I think I have to be uh, logically consistent here and not you know, kind of flip-flop from week to week. But I think with the Yankees, I'm still inclined to think just based on the how they played the whole season they're a little bit wired to disappoint and when they face you know as you mentioned the Blue Jays and Rays down the stretch that would seem to be you just based on the way they played the entire season the stretch where they don't deliver and the stretch where they haven't delivered and maybe you know that's a case of regressing to the mean positively and they'll look the way everybody thought they'd look when they were more or less division favorites and uh, you're finally seeing the quality of the team pull through the way we've seen like the Cardinals <laughs> turn into the team we thought they'd be at the very end. Uh, I suppose it's possible, but I still, I think like the Blue Jays a little bit more. So that's why I think that I'll give them the nod. I think to me, even though Toronto will be one game out by um, you know, the conclusion of this uh, Yankees Red Sox game, I'm still inclined to like them more than either the Red Sox or Yankees. And I guess the question is whether you trust the Red Sox uh, as much. And I think, you know, they played a little bit better over the course of the season. They've been uneven as well. But when you look at run differential, the potency of their offense, like, um, you know, they've been more reliable in terms of scoring runs. Uh, whereas like the, oh, well, the Yankees are finally starting to separate themselves from the Tigers offensively. So maybe it's a case where uh, <laughs> they are, you know, finally looking like the team that they were supposed to be, but, I'm still going to say, like, I, I was when we talked about that last week and I was looking at uh, the Yankees, I still look at them you know, kind of like a two-week prediction. And so if I'm going to be consistent with that, I think I'll still have them on the outside looking in. For the Yankees, Tuesday through Thursday against the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays are going with Hinjin Ryu on Tuesday, Jose Brios on Wednesday, and Robbie Ray on Thursday. For the New York Yankees, they are going with Jameson Tyon on Tuesday, Garrett Cole on Wednesday, and that Thursday game will be Corey Kluber. So if you look at these pitching matchups, and especially the way that the Blue Jays have been hitting the ball and the Yankees offense starting to come alive, Jean-Carl Stanton starting to come alive, uh, coming up with some big home runs for the Yankees over the weekend in Boston. I, I'm with you. I think the Blue Jays win this series against the Yankees. So then you'll have the Blue Jays and Yankees tied up going into the final weekend of the regular season. So that's the Yankees and the Blue Jays. What about the Red Sox? The Red Sox have three games against the Baltimore Orioles. So they got it easy. <laughs> and in the American League West, it is still a faint hope. But the Seattle Mariners have a Monday through Wednesday series against the Oakland Athletics. Uh, one of those teams... Again, the wild card hopes are faint. They're going to need a sweep. One of those two teams needs a sweep if they're going to be able to catch one of the American League East teams. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that series plays out. Uh, if it's a if the, if the Mariners win two out of three, I just I still don't think that's enough, Jim. I think the Mariners need to sweep the Athletics if they're going to catch one of the American League East teams. 
That's how it looks like to me, especially the Red Sox have Baltimore and Washington to close out the season. Right. I was just going to get into that because the yeah, final- they're, they're on the road. That's the one thing yeah, that maybe makes it a little bit less uh, uh, of a cakewalk than it appears on paper, but not by much. Yeah. The final weekend series, again, the Yankees have to face the Rays. The Rays have already clinched the American League East, so we'll be interested to see what the Rays do in that final weekend. The Boston Red Sox are going up against the Washington Nationals. And the Toronto Blue Jays, after that tough series against the Yankees, they get the Baltimore Orioles. So the Yankees are getting the short straw here in the final week of the regular season uh, from the Red Sox and the Blue Jays, which is, you know, just based on the schedule, that's why that's why I'm feeling here, Jim, that it's going to be Blue Jays-Red Sox in this one-game playoff uh, in the American League wildcard. Because uh, Oakland will be going to Houston, and the Mariners will be hosting the Angels. Uh, So, again, I think it's a faint hope for the Mariners. So right now, on Monday, September 27th, I'm going to go ahead and say that your one-game playoff is going to be Blue Jays-Red Sox. That's how I feel, and that's uh, the last weekend series, yeah, especially with the Yankees just having tough all the way through. And the Rays will be in a fastening position because um, you remember how they talked about a couple years ago that they had the idea of postseason teams uh, picking their opponents. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the, yeah, the Rays kind of feel like they're in that position right now, <laughs> at least going to last weekend, where they can try their best to punch the Yankees out or maybe, you know, not that they would play to lose or let the Yankees win, but just, uh, I guess, not, uh, or I guess, yeah, maybe not let them win, but just prioritize team health and resting guys to where the outcome of their game is inconsequential. If the Yankees win, so be it. That's kind of how it feels to me, uh, just from the race position. They're in, they're going to, they don't have home field to play for. They're going to have that by the end of the week. So really it's just more of a matter of who they want to play and whether they have an inkling of whether they want to play anybody, it'll be rest first. But if they feel like they want to punch the Yankees off the ledge, I, I feel like they might have enough resources to make an effort to do so. Well, that's the American League. Moving over to the National League. The big race is the race for the National League West. The San Francisco Giants are currently two games ahead of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and both teams have already won more than 100 games. And for the midweek series, the San Francisco Giants face the Arizona Diamondbacks Tuesday through Thursday. Meanwhile, the Dodgers will be playing the San Diego Padres, who have been eliminated from the postseason, and that's the Tuesday through Thursday series. The weekend series uh, for the Dodgers, if they have any hope uh, for catching the Giants, they're going to have to root for those San Diego Padres because they'll be facing the San Francisco Giants in the final weekend. And for the Dodgers, this might be a National League Championship Series preview because the Dodgers have to face the Milwaukee Brewers in the final weekend of the season. So, Giants, Dodgers, and the National League West. That's the final race in the West. Uh, The Atlanta Braves have a comfortable lead now over the Philadelphia Phillies in the National League East. That I I feel like the Braves are going to win the East. Do you agree with that, Jim, or do you think the Phillies could catch the Braves? They have a direct opportunity uh, this week, three-game series against the, uh, you know, it's a Phillies-Braves series, so they do have an opportunity. And the, the Phillies have been playing well enough to do it, and Bryce Harper's been playing out of his mind, and the Braves, I think, are some reason like they're not as imposing as they should be so 
It's possible, but I, I think the Braves will be able to pull it off. Like, I, I think they'll be able to stiff arm them away. Okay, so with the National League West then, the Giants and Dodgers, whichever team doesn't win this division is going to have to face the red-hot St. Louis Cardinals, who have decided that they're not going to lose anymore. Uh, who do you like to win the National League West as we enter the final week of the season? Well, I have to remain consistent and say the Dodgers because I said them <laughs> last time around, but really hoping for the Giants still. Um, to me, just looking at this race and thinking about just recent successes, you know, with the Dodgers being so, yeah, I guess rich in both resources and experiences lately in winning the World Series, if they get the wild card berth and they somehow lose, you know, they, they win a hundred something games and lose to a red hot Cardinals team in a wild card game, that'll be unfortunate. And, um, you know, people like me who, you know, value the regular season and, and think like the, you know, a team winning 105 games in the season is pretty much more impressive than anything they do in the postseason. You know, if they win the world series, great, but you don't necessarily need to have a world series win to validate just how well a team was built. So, you know, if they lose to the Cardinals, I'll be slightly annoyed that people are going to say the Dodgers choked or weren't that good or what have you, uh, and you don't see the quality of the team reflected. But I think the, the Giants, just how they've done it, uh, how they've, you know, blown away every single, um, you know, every single projection and also just uh, every single doubt about how they've built the roster and, and you know, not rebuilding and just trying to win and, and uh, you know, some people thought they might have been throwing good money after bad, but just, you know, committing to the players who are productive and fan favorites and, and just, you know, maintaining that they could win around them. Like, I'd like to see that validated. So, as I said last week, I think my head still says the Dodgers, but my heart is with San Francisco. Do you think we see any game 163s, both in the American League and National Leagues? I'm going to say no, just because I think there's always hope for them and they never materialize. <laughs> So maybe if I'm on the other way, I'm going to say that, uh, yeah, I'm going to say uh, no, and then maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, because I guess the Blue Jays' plan is that if they have to play a game 163, they're going to have Jose Breos make that start, and then Robbie Ray would be ready for the wild card game. If they don't have a game 163, and if they do go into that wild card game, I guess... Brayos would get the wild card game, and if the Blue Jays win that game, uh, then Robbie Ray would start game one for the Blue Jays in the American League Divisional Series. That's the direction that they are going. And if the Yankees make it, it looks like it's going to be Garrett Cole in that wild card game uh, for whoever that they face. And the Red Sox, uh, looking at their pitching probables, well, it's old friend Chris Sale. Mm -hmm. You're going to get one heck of a pitching matchup and the one game wild card in the American League. Some combination of Garrett Cole versus Chris Sale versus Jose Breos. Uh, for the wrestling fans, I guess you could have a Hell in a Cell cage match if you could ever have three teams play each other at the same time, but that's not how the baseball works right now. But <laughs> I think Dan Samborski could be able to simulate Maybe. It. Maybe. <laughs> but I, I love game 163s. I just don't see it happening. I do think the Giants are going to outlast the Dodgers. And that would really set up a fascinating National League wildcard with St. Louis heading to Los Angeles for a one-game playoff. Uh, against the Dodgers. I, I think that would be great theater. Uh, we're going to get some really good wildcard games this year, folks. 
in the, both the American and National Leagues. And it's great that the White Sox are going to continue to be participating in the postseason and uh, be part of this great theater as we enter the next stage of the Major League Baseball season. Coming up next, we preview the next series for the Chicago White Sox as they finally come home after a quick stop in Detroit to face the Cincinnati Reds. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. The Chicago White Sox head to Detroit to make up one of the games that got rained out against the Tigers last week. This is going to be a 12.10 p.m. Central Time start on Monday. It's Dallas Keuchel that will be on the mound for the Chicago White Sox against Matt Manning. After that game, the White Sox hop back on the charter flight and head home. Uh, finally, after a very lengthy road trip that saw them go to Arlington, Texas, Detroit, Cleveland, and back to Detroit. And the White Sox have a Tuesday-Wednesday series against the Cincinnati Reds. And the Cincinnati Reds, as we record this, have a win-loss record of 81-75. and 75. In their last 10 games, they have won six of them, and they have won their last three games. The season series is split one game apiece. The last time these two teams played, Liam Hendricks was running the bases in extra innings because Tony La Russa didn't know how the rules worked. He's come a long way. It's come a long way. It's come a long way. Your pitching probables for this series. On Tuesday night, it is Luis Castillo for the Reds against Reynaldo Lopez. That's going to be a 7.10 p.m. Central Time start. And on Wednesday, Sonny Gray will make the start. And if Carlos Rodon is healthy enough, he'll make the start opposite of Gray. If Rodon is not healthy enough, it is to be determined for the White Sox and who will make that start. Looking at the Red Series, Jim, these are two tough right-handed pitchers the White Sox will be facing in Castillo and Gray. Is this good preparation for facing Houston? That's what I was thinking about when you know you mentioned the the pitching probables, and then I was looking at uh, the map and and seeing that Matt Manning is going for Detroit and, and the uh, makeup game on Monday. That's three righties and uh, of varying quality, um, but still just righties who have faced the White Sox in the case of Manning and and are relatively new. And in case of Gray, like have been reborn a little bit. In the case of Castillo, Castillo is fascinating to me just because. He's still good, but he's he's eight and sixteen this year. Like you don't see a win loss record for a pitcher like that, who's as good as Castillo in this day and age. Just I don't think I, I didn't think it was possible for a pitcher of his quality. Like he's having a slightly down year. He's got a four oh five ERA, but it's still above average. And he somehow lost sixteen games this year. It's kind of nuts to me. But uh, he's he's on pace for like a five win season in, in terms of wins above replacement, but he's leading the league in losses. So uh I, I think that's a... Uh, it kind of stands as a point of evidence for people who don't like wins and losses. But for me, I just think it's kind of indicative for, you know, maybe a missed opportunity for the Reds. They look to figure out like how they came up short in the postseason race. Uh, it looks like they wasted a number of Castillo appearances that could have gone better. So I think, you know, with Castillo, I'm looking at his pitch mix this year just to see, because, you know, watching the way that Eli Morgan worked over the White Sox with the right-handed changeup, like I'm thinking like Castillo might be good practice too. Cause I think his changeups still is go to, yeah, he's throwing at 30% of the time. So I think that'll be pretty instructive for the White Sox, just seeing whether they can take any lessons they learn from, you know, getting shut down by uh, uh, you know, relative no name like Morgan, then going against Castillo, whose changeup is known and he'll throw it against anybody in any count. Like, I guess we'll see if that's a trick the White Sox can get adjusted to. 
But, uh, you know, other than that, I think it'll be a matter of just the kind of quality of laps they're running out there. I know they're looking at this uh, kind of uneven performance against the uh, in Cleveland and saying there's a long road trip and they're resting guys and there's a bit maybe of an emotional or physical hangover from clinching the uh, division. So you'd like to say, you know, that that's true, but I think, you know, it would be nice for them to get a head start on flipping the switch, just playing against home and having enough bats in there to feel like it's a credible attack. So I think they'll be taking it seriously. And yeah, if they have uh, three week uh, games against righties of, you know, Manning, who isn't quite good yet, uh, Gray, who's good, Castillo's good, like they should be able to show something here, uh, especially at home. White Sox pitching will be facing Joey Votto, who's got 33 home runs this year, 92 RBIs. He's got an OPS of 936. And Nicholas Castellanos, who's got 32 homers, 92 RBIs, and a 935 OPS. These two guys are really close on the OPS front. Uh, Castellanos has 37 doubles to go along with his 32 home runs. And I think we're going to hear this often, Jim, especially this upcoming offseason, because the rumors out of Cincinnati is that Castellanos is going to opt out of his contract. So is this another opportunity for White Sox fans to get to see Castellanos in person and start dreaming about the possibility of Castellanos manning right field for the White Sox in the future? Possibly. Like I'm, I'm, I just looked at his uh, you know, outfield stats just to see if he was indeed a full-time right fielder. And yep, and he's still not a good full-time right fielder. But when you see who the White Sox have rotated out there this year with Vaughn and Sheets, like... I think now it's hard to get greedy about how good you want your defensive right fielder to be. So I think he'd be in the mix. I mean, he's uh, he's earned every penny of his Reds contract so far, and he played well in Chicago when he was with the Cubs. So it seemed like the change of scenery out of Detroit really did him well. So I think it's, uh, you know, he's in play. And uh it would seem to me like he, he would strike me more as a case of, you know, I'm looking, he's still, uh, yep, Scott Boris client. So I think it would take like a late February signing in order to get it done. Like I don't think the White Sox and Boris would just be able to strike an agreement. But if it's a lengthy negotiation session and, you know, teams are wielding Castellanos' defensive deficiencies, against him i could see like him being theoretically available late under another uh creative contract structure maybe that uh you know maybe puts the white Sox back in play i think if a team wants to sign him wants to be aggressive about it then uh then i think the white Sox are out it would take a longer situation where maybe they can get a shorter deal to their liking and Eugenio suarez he's got 28 homers this year that's good and I know that we talked about this, the home run RBI differential, 75 RBIs. He's hitting 188 with a 275 on base percentage. Yeah, he's like the most 2021 player. Yeah, it's, it's a bit baffling. He's got 91 hits. 48 of them have gone for extra base hits. <laughs> oh, man, a 403 slugging. I mean, it just... It's really eye-opening because at first they look at the OPS and be like, wow, Suarez has a sub-700 OPS, but he's got 28 homers. Lots of home runs this year. From yeah, the, the, the ISO is fine. The ISO is fine. <laughs> oh, 
and Jesse Winker, he's got 24 homers this year, and he's had a very good offensive season for the Reds. And Jonathan India has 20 home runs this year. He's in contention to win National League Rookie of the Year. The, the Reds can hit. So the White Sox, in the state that they're currently at right now, going through as far as the, the motions of the final week of the regular season, focusing on, as Larusa has mentioned, trying to keep the edge, continue to be competitive, but also be mindful that if you are sore, let the staff know so you can get your days off because it's more important that everybody is well-rested and ready to go for the American League Divisional Series. It's just really interesting to me because the Reds, they've, they've got some, you can look at their roster and yeah, they're 81 and 75. Unfortunately for them, this is not good enough. I wonder what the future holds for them in 2022 and beyond, because there's a part of me, Jim, that wonders if this was the last chance for the Reds to, to make the postseason before they have to make some difficult roster decisions or some of their core players are going to be making the difficult roster decisions for them. Well, there's change underfoot. They gutted, I think, their their uh, player development department, or at least most of them. I know that Cal Bodie and the driveline um, faction of their player development staff was um, their contracts were not renewed. So there is change afoot in their organization, but it's right now at the lower levels. But I don't know if that means like a, a greater overhauls in store. But there are, uh, you know, there are <laughs> indicators that uh, they're not happy with the status quo. I'm just looking what they're drawing at home, like just to see if there's any, yeah, there's, yeah, their attendance has been kind of lackluster. Um, yeah, I thought maybe if they're drawing particularly well, that maybe it'd be a case for them to argue they've, they've been drawn okay, but not great. So I think probably factor in like probably a not great um, TV deal. And I can see them wanting to um, maybe take a step back. I wonder, what does that look like? Would they trade a Luis Castillo or a Sonny Gray? Yeah. Are, are we looking at a situation like we've seen with Cleveland in the past couple of years? Could be. Um, yeah, that was the talk of uh, a couple of years ago. And I would say like the last two seasons because the Reds, I think, have always bucked the trend of avoiding rebuilding and, and ignored the odds of the division or their you know, projected standings and gone for it, which I think is admirable. Um, but maybe not the best play. That's why I was rooting for them to get to wildcard spot just to um, you know see some benefit from doing so. But yeah, they were looking at, I think, you know, Castellanos, you know, he might be gone uh, on his own volition. And then you have, uh, you know, Gray was a popular trade, maybe not target, but, you know, I guess uh, potential um, trade asset. Same thing with uh, Castillo. So I think those would be the two most notable names. Um, it's hard to imagine Vado going anywhere. Uh, you know, Suarez had the weird year. He might have been tradable previously, but, you know, when you're batting 188, what do you do with that? So yeah, it's. They're kind of caught in between, but I think, you know, maybe with a couple of good trades to where maybe they just do like a quick retrenching rather than like a rebuild, um, they might be able to get back within a couple of years. Well, we will be recapping this series on Thursday, September 30th. It'll be our last Sox Machine Live episode of the regular season. We'll also preview the final weekend series for the Chicago White Sox as the Detroit Tigers head to the south side, and hopefully we'll know by then on who is starting on Friday and who is starting on Saturday. 
So we have a clear outlook on what the White Sox probable pitchers will be for the American League Divisional Series and start getting hyped up for that series uh, as the White Sox get ready to face the Houston Astros. Uh, Or, you know, who knows? Who knows how this final week will go? Maybe the Rays will lose every single game, the Astros will win every single game, and the White Sox will have to face the Rays. That is still a possibility. It is a long shot, but it's a possibility. We'll know more later this week on Sox Machine Live. Again, that will be on Thursday, September 30th, and you can watch on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Machine or on SoxMachine.com. Well, you guys had a lot of questions for us, so let's answer them next in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks, where our Patreon supporters, which you can become one if you're not, at patreon.com slash socksmachine, stuffed the P.O. Socks mailbag once again. And Jim, the first question that we have from our Patreon supporters comes from Tim. And Tim is asking, any idea what Carlos Rodon's market will be with what seems to be more injury concerns. I was thinking about this just because when it came to Rodon for most of the season, I was thinking he was an easy qualifying offer and then go from there. Um, I think the question is, depending on how he shows up this last week and maybe the postseason, like, is he a qualifying offer candidate? Um, I think that's going to be a question worth a, a a larger post. But I think, like, if it comes to his market... I think you would accept a qualifying offer. Like I'm thinking like the Kevin Gosman situation, like easy accept for that. Uh, but another guy who accepted the qualifying offer uh, in the past was Brett Anderson. And that's kind of who I'm thinking Rodon is now. Um, somebody who, when he pitches, is good. Uh, but he is not a great bet, great bet to pitch that often. And looking at Anderson's history, um, let me load it up here real quick, just because I, I looked up his... What he earned, because he he's worked on so many one-year contracts that it's hard to know like the peak value of his earnings, but he broke in at age 21 through 175 innings, through 112 innings as a 22-year-old in 2010, and then didn't throw 100 innings until 2015. So five seasons, uh, sorry, four seasons went in between him throwing 100 innings. And then three more seasons passed, can get to 100 innings. 2019 throws 100 innings again, so... Teams were always tempted to give him contracts, but didn't really want to overcommit. And sometimes they were burned because he didn't show up or only could throw like, you know, a handful of starts. And then other times he would throw 30 starts. So I think that's kind of, that's who Rodon strikes me as now. I think, you know, maybe on a per inning basis, he's more like Rich Harden, except Harden was pretty much done by this point in his career. So I think it's a mix of the two, like a, an Anderson, who can strike out guys like a Harden did. But either way, like when I was looking up um, Anderson's earning history, he had one year where he, that was the 2015 year with the uh, Dodgers, where he threw 180 innings, threw a, had a 369 ERA, won 10 games. They gave him the qualifying offer. Next year, he throws 11 innings. But in that one year, he made 10 million. And then like with uh, incentives, because he had incentives based on whether he, uh, um, you know, pitched, uh, you know, such and such innings in the season, he made about 12.4 million. And I think that's how Rodon's market might look if he's able to get to the postseason in 
relatively full working order. Um, another guy who came to mind is Rich Hill. Somebody who has dominance when he's at the height of his game, but just might have to be strategically deployed over the course of the season in order to ensure you have him for the most important games. But either way, those guys seem to be around, you know, worth around 10 million or so a year if they're fully functioning, if they can pass a physical. So whether Rodon gets that guaranteed or whether he needs like a healthy incentive package to get him there, that's where I'm thinking at right now. Do you have any thoughts or disagreements with that? No, because Brett Anderson is the is the comp that I think of right away for Carlos Rodon. Now, if you are not going to be making a qualifying offer to Rodon because you are fearing that if you do make a qualifying offer, let's say it's $18.5 million, that you're paying someone $18.5 million for the 2022 season that may pitch 100 innings for you next season. Mm-hmm. Those 100 innings have to be awesome, like Rodon was this season. And you have to use those 100 innings wisely, knowing that he is going to be on the injured list for lengthy times next season to give that shoulder a rest. Is that the wisest way of spending $18.5 million for the Chicago White Sox? Coming into a season which they're going to have one of the highest team payrolls they've ever had, finally. And... They may be pressed still as far as budget reasons, self-budget reasons that they, they put on themselves. I don't know at this stage if it is wise to extend the qualifying offer with Carlos Rodon. That's where my head is at. So that's that's part one. If you don't, Rodon becomes a free agent. Does Rodon get miffed that he doesn't get that qualifying offer? I don't know. And I don't know what other teams would be willing to make as far as an offer, but the idea of a prove it deal for like $10, $12 million, I, I don't know if Scott Boris is going to settle for that because he likes to be creative and he loves to brag about how creative he is with these contracts. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't think Rodon would be miffed just because he's, I think the non-tendering might miff him more. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I think yeah. and he came back and I think he'd be ultimate yeah and ultimately he would be happy too to not have the qualifying offer hanging over him so unless he wants that 18 and a half million dollars to come back oh yeah but I mean like if that's a case where um he yeah if Boris says like well you could get 18 and a half million but you might be able to get like a more guaranteed money over the course of two or three years um and given his health issues, like no team's going to offer him that kind of AAV or come close to it, then I think reality might be pretty clear for him that a healthy two-year deal or like really healthy incentives might be the way to go or might just be what he has to do because that money's not out there for him in that kind of average annual value. So what, like a two-year $20 million or two-year $25 million contract for Carlos Rodon? Yeah, it's... Well, I'm thinking with... um you know, with Boris, he tends to like shorter deal. Like, I don't know if he likes two-year deals so much. He seems to like one-year deals with um, player options or, um, you know, just something that, that allows the player to have some leverage to capitalize on a big year. Like, I, I for some reason, you know, I have uh, instances in my head of him just rejecting two-year deals and being like, go big or go home. 
when it comes to contract length. Um, but we've seen him before. Like I'm thinking with Joe Creedy when he's dealing with the back issues that, you know, he's been fine to, he sometimes can acknowledge like physical limitations and will take sure money if it's there um, for players who are banged up um, and have a history of, you know, extensive history of having injuries that cost them big chunks of the season. So he's one player who might be able to uh, be convinced to take two, a two-year deal just because it might be the best way for him to get uh, just one big chunk of money uh, in the event that he has like another significant injury that costs him a big part of the season. So yeah, it's, there are a lot of ways he can go. It's just, it's, he seems like somebody who is a luxury for a team like the Dodgers. Like yeah. we don't care how many innings you pitch um, just because we'll just be happy to have you. We like insane depth. You're part of that insane depth. <laughs> and when we can pay you $10 million a year to be insane depth. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. I, it's really going to be about who gives Rodon the most years, I think. We'll be signing Carlos Rodon after this season. Yeah, I just think with the White Sox, you know, looking at Brett Anderson's uh, history and seeing that he got, uh, I think it was $15 million for the qualifying offer that year to throw 11 innings, I think that's something the White Sox can't quite afford. No, I agree. I think they'll have to go elsewhere if they want to bolster the starting rotation which yeah and, I, and it seems like just this last week should tell us a lot but i think if he comes out throwing like low 90s again i wonder if the white Sox will just you know cash in their winnings for the season and just say this was just one of the greater one-year contracts we've ever, we've ever signed uh and it's been great things have changed a lot since the all-star break jim Yes. A lot. Which is unfortunate. Like, yeah. it sucks. Yeah, it does suck. Everybody liked happy, uh, happy, hard-throwing Carlos Rodon at the height of his powers. At least we got a chance to see it. Yeah. Better better with the White Sox than some other uniform. That would have been really aggravating. Even even if, uh, you know, he does somehow, like, say if he has a really unimpressive showing this last week, doesn't really factor in the postseason, signs elsewhere, and then rediscovers his form. I don't think it'll be nearly as bad as if the White Sox let him go and he showed up with some other team having the 2021 that he did. Yeah, I don't want to don't want to be at risk of sounding too dire too dour on this podcast. But Tim, I I don't know exactly what teams would be in the running. I like Jim's idea of the Los Angeles Dodgers going after someone like Carlos Rodon because they like to make those risky signings and 10, 15 million dollars is nothing to the Dodgers where it's a lot of money uh, to the White Sox. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens to Rodon's market after this season. Thank you so much for your question, Tim. Next question comes from Mohammed, and Mohammed is asking, what are the White Sox options for Mike Rodolfo next season? Well, there, there are basically three options unless, say, he gets hurt, um, which is not always, uh, or, or always a very real possibility with Adolfo. Um, but Basically, the three three uh, routes are they can try to roster him by opening day. Like he, He'll be out of options next spring, so they can go the entire spring training, see what he looks like, see if he gets through it healthy. And if he doesn't, or if he, if he you know gets through healthy in full working order and they feel like there's no way they can sneak him through waivers and for whatever reason, if right field is still open to somebody with the skills, they can 
you know, roster him and say like, okay, we'll take our chances. We'll see how ready you are. If you have like a 40% strikeout rate in the first month, we'll hope that maybe the guy we signed originally to play right field will be back and we can try to outright him through waivers. Uh, he would have to be removed from the 40-man roster in order to get him back down to Charlotte. But if he looks like that's not ready for the majors, perhaps no other team will claim him and put him on the roster at the time. So that's one course. Uh, the other option is to try to sneak him through waivers during spring training. Uh, like say if he has that really awful spring where he's just swinging, flailing at sliders out of the zone, missing by a foot. And uh, White Sox say like, well, we can't carry him. There's, we weren't planning on carrying him anyway, but he looks so rough right now that we're not going to trade him for anything meaningful. So let's just see if we can maybe leverage this poor showing in spring training to try to get him through waivers and hope that no team will place him on their active roster. Uh, that's another option. Um, probably won't work given just how many teams are you know rebuilding and could use a player like him like a yeah just can use the sheer amount of options of anybody who's capable of a breakout at this point to um you know take at bats and i think adolfo would be one of those guys for one of those teams but then the other option would be to trade him over the off season which i think you know could be a course of action just uh he's had a nice season this year i think he's shown enough like he he's somebody who uh is not going to get a ton back in a trade um, just because of his strikeout rate, 136 strikeouts in uh, you know, less than 400 plate appearances. So it's elevated. He's had rough adjustments to new levels, Charlotte aside, but Charlotte is <laughs> such a uh, dramatically um, severe hitter environment that it's hard to take those numbers at face value. But let's say like the, any team, projecting to pick him up would factor in like a lengthy adjustment process or some early swing and miss issues that might take a couple months of reps to resolve. Like he's not going to get a whole bunch in trade, but maybe you can do a change of scenery deal, a need for a need deal out of option swap uh, where one team can just reorganize the uh, issues it has. And both are happy with, you know, one team has an outfielder, uh, a need for outfield depth and Adolfo fits that. And maybe like the White Sox get a backup catcher or something like that. Who's out of options and they get that guy. Like that's a possibility or they just, you know, try to trade him for like a, you know, an a ball lottery ticket. But that right now seems maybe the most likely course of action to me, just because the White Sox don't have a whole lot of other, um, and they have some trade assets, but not a whole bunch. And Adolfo would be the, you know, if the White Sox finally make a an effort to solve right field once and for all this winter, then really Adolfo would have no place to play, especially you know, if first base is still backed up with Vaughn and uh, Abreu, and if Jimenez is still out there and left, like there really isn't anywhere for Adolfo to go. Well, Mohammed, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Mark Hope, and Mark wrote to us, will the White Sox offense be able to flip the switch? Against Houston, considering the White Sox lead the American League in ground ball rate and the Houston Astros pitching staff are second in the American League in inducing ground balls. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it, it's one, th one thing with the White Sox and the way the White Sox struggle is that it looks like they're lifeless or looks like they're not in it or overmatch when they hit just ground balls to the left side over and over and over again. And, you know, people say it's a bad game plan. You know, what's Frank Manichino doing? They've lost their edge. Tony LaRusso isn't playing guys enough. And really, 
you, you do run the risk of just having the wrong pitching staff for the lineup over the case of a short series. So that is a risk. Uh, the one thing looking at uh, the Astros numbers and their uneven performance this month, uh, in some bad news, uh, they've allowed just 20 homers in 215 innings this month. In some good news, they lead the American League in walks. They've, they've walked a ton of batters this year. So there will be traffic. Uh, unfortunately for the White Sox, sometimes that means double plays or the, the White Sox have a tendency to snuff that out. But I think the Astros will be lending a hand. And, and some other good news, the Sox have just allowed 19 homers in September. Like they've been equally stingy uh, with the long ball. So, you know, as we've talked about many times, uh, you know, the White Sox success will be probably predicated on you know, whether they, they're able to hit enough homers or at least high leverage homers to make the difference. Because I think, you know, building innings carefully will be hard to come by. And, you know, they're going to have to... Uh, you know, we saw that with the, uh, the Eli Morgan game where they did have a couple deep drives that just died in the warning track. And I think uh, you know, when he had the discussion where I felt like the White Sox were a little bit uh, dependent on the cheap homer... Uh, they immediately proved that wrong with the clinching game, <laughs> but then, uh, the game against, uh, Eli Morgan, where a couple of drives to the right and left center gaps just fell short. And that was their best chance of getting in the game. Uh, that's kind of what I was talking about. So I think some of these games could come down to a matter of like five feet and whether they can get that extra five feet to carry over the fence. Uh, that might be enough that does it just because, you know, like, you know, like Mark alluded to with this question, just the, there, there is the recipe for a lot of double plays and you can't, I don't think you can count on just having the right sequences, especially with the way the Astros play defense and the way they, they know how to game plan. Like that's going to be tough. So I think that, uh, you know, the homers are going to be a play a big part, which is kind of bad news, except, uh, you know, if you're looking at a place where the White Sox might be able to thrive outside of home field advantage, it's possible Minute Maid Field is that park just because there is the short porch and left. There are some cheap homers down the line and right, so perhaps they can make use of that. Yeah, what Mark proposes is like the number one talking point when previewing a White Sox-Astros postseason series. The number two talking point is can the White Sox get Michael Brantley out? Like that's, those are the two things, you know, Mark brings up number one. That's always on my mind. Mm-hmm. Number two. I mean, Michael Brantley just tormented the white Sox this season. Yeah. And, and I think uh, I'm looking up Kyle Tucker. Like I'm surprised how good he is, especially since it seemed like for a while that like, you know, maybe the Astros should have traded him um, you know, for the, the rough start he got off to early in his career. But yeah, now he looks like a fully formed hitter and, I'm just looking at his splits just to get an idea of whether the White Sox saw this guy. As in, okay. Not quite. <laughs> yeah, like he's, he's, he was good in the first half, but he's been great in the second half. He's got, a, you know, 1,037 OPS. Yeah, the, the Astros half. one through six is just as deep and strong as the White Sox one through six. Yeah. So when it comes to like the White Sox not having uh, Jimenez and Robert, like that's true, but... You know, the, the White Sox didn't also see this version of uh, Kyle Tucker. So or it'll be tough. I mean, talking about like, yeah, and in the last week of the season, like we we're talking about just guys who need to get on track and, and make use of that. I think Jimenez is one of those guys. Yes. Yeah, it'd be nice to get him back 
in rhythm. He did have a nice two RBI single on Sunday against Cleveland. So more of that, hopefully he gets going and he gets a little bit more comfortable because you can pitch him on the outside corner. We spoke about this for a while now and it's still true. You can still attack him on the outside corner and Houston is going to do that against Aloy in the postseason. So he better, he better be ready because if he doesn't like hitting the pitches in the outside corner right now, that's all he's going to see against the Houston Astros in the postseason. Yeah, Kyle Tucker this year against the White Sox, three games, three for 11, uh, all singles, uh, no walks, three strikeouts. So they haven't seen this Kyle Tucker. Yeah. Mark, thank you so much for your question. Our next set of questions are from our Patreon supporters only. These are your bonus P.O. Sox questions. The first question or topic that you would like us to tackle in a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast the best way of doing so is becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash machine. However, the podcast schedule is going to start changing. So we have next week's podcast as far as on Monday to recap the final regular season series between the White Sox and the Tigers and start getting prepped uh, we'll talk about the wild card games for both the American and National Leagues, uh, and then do some heavy previewing between the White Sox and, again, we're assuming the Houston Astros for the American League Divisional Series. And then we're going to go to pretty much an almost every single game podcast format. We're going to do pregame shows on Twitter Spaces, so follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine and at Sox Machine underscore Josh, as we'll have other folks from the White Sox blogosphere and podcasts join us as well as we pregame those uh, games on Twitter spaces. And then Jim and I will be recording uh, recap podcasts after each postseason game uh, per series. And then after the postseason, uh, no matter how far the White Sox go, uh, then we'll go into recapping the 2021 season by player is the is the goal now uh, for this upcoming off season. So this is like the second to last your regular your regular scheduled Monday Sox Machine podcast. So if you do have something that's on your mind and you want us to answer it in PO Sox, go to Patreon.com/slash/SoxMachine to sign up to be a supporter. Because next Monday is one of your last opportunities before we get into the offseason. And Jim, did you have any call-outs as far as any of our Patreon supporters? Sure do. Uh, in our weeks-long tradition, <laughs> our storied weeks-long tradition of uh, you know, giving shout-outs to recent supporters, I'd like to thank uh, Shane Houlihan and Steve Tamori, who just signed up uh in the past uh, weeks or so and just want to give them a shout out and then to go still working through our first day supporters uh, thank you to we just heard his name in the bonus uh, content on P.O. Sox Paul Riker uh, and Matthew Cowie both day one supporters thank you so much for your support and that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast if you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And subscribe to our YouTube page, which we also do videos at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, part of the Blue Wire podcast network, and your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. 
Thanks for listening. 